Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. Uh, most of you already know it's Women's History Month. Uh, March is Women's History Month. And we missed it by a week. Um, March 8th was International Women's Day. Uh, a festival, a celebration of inclusion, uh, employee engagement, uh, relationships, uh, where women make all the difference at work, lots of ways of celebrating. Unfortunately, I haven't been a very good proponent of International Women's Day. A couple of days ago, we did a show with Patty McCracken on uh, a story of uh, early 20th century Hungarian women who poisoned 160 men. She has a new book out, The Angel Makers, which is all about these Hungarian women who murdered their husbands and boyfriends and sons. I'm not sure that was necessarily a particularly appropriate or perhaps even kind way of celebrating International Women's Day. So, I am trying to do my best to compensate with my old friend, Tiffany Schlein, um, another Bay Area creative writer, public speaker, um, filmmaker, and uh, artist. Uh, she has, uh, she, she's been on the show before talking about her book. She's never been on talking about her art. And uh, she had up until last month... Um, uh, an exhibit at a local San Francisco art gallery, which I think in many ways was celebrating International Women's Day, or at least women's role in history. And she's joining us from her home in uh, Marin. Tiff uh, Tiffany, happy Women's Day. Happy Women International Women's Month. <laughs> Can I be forgiven for running that? I don't know. I can't believe you started with that article. I mean, were they poisoning men for a reason or... Just... Yeah, I mean, the, it was written by a woman. I mean, and she was actually very nice. It's a, a really interesting story. These men came back from the First World War and they were all alcoholics and they beat their wives and girlfriends and mothers well, that's up. That's the headline. So they were abusing the women and the women. Well, I mean, I don't. I'm not sure it justifies murder. But anyway, I, I mean, know. those I'm are like, Hungarians. I'm not just like murder. But when you first said the story, I'm like, wait, just these Hungarian women were poisoning their husbands. But anyways, this does make up for it because I have a very... Uh, pro-woman, pro-men, pro-any-gender-in-between identity look at the world, and my show really explores and celebrates a new narrative about women. So I think it does somewhat make up for that starting last So you say a, a new narrative, Tiffany. Um, what exactly is that? What's the narrative? Well, one of my centerpieces in the show, um, which maybe you can bring up on the screen, is a feminist history tree ring. Yeah. So I grew up right near Mirror Woods. I still live by it. And I would go all the time as a kid and my whole life to Mirror Woods, which has that big tree ring at the ent entrance of the park. And usually it's all dates about men and kind of colonialistic, patriarchal view of history. And I thought, I really want to see a feminist history tree ring. And I have made many movies about women in power and feminist history. So I distilled all the information from the um, those the feminist history. I go back 50,000 years where women were worshiped as goddesses. I also talk about the witch burnings. I talk about the strong reproductive rights thread and struggle for equality there. 
and um, politics. It goes through everything. And, and then I worked with these pyrographers to burn that text into the wood. And it was one of the most satisfying projects I've ever done to tell a new narrative. That's what I meant is that so often women are not in the history books. And that's one of the reasons why there's Women History Month. But I was trying to um, create a new narrative of history through a feminist ecological lens. And of course, I'm playing with the timeline because I go back 50,000 years and trees are not that old. They're mostly the yeah. oldest 5,000 years. But um, it, it's a, it was really exciting to distill into 30 points what and I, and I consulted with a lot of um, scholars and activists like what would be on there. And um, when it was presented, it was at the top of the San Francisco Ferry Building at Shack 15. And just the response from people, like a lot of men and women, you know, tears rolling down their face because it's intense. And there's a lot of, you know, forward motion and a lot of backward motion. And that's the struggle for progress. So we have plans in the works right now to bring that piece to um, Washington, D.C., for uh, National Women's Equality Day. For those of you that don't know, that celebrates the 19th Amendment, which was when women got the right to vote. And that's in August 26th. So there's plans in the work to do something very exciting with the feminist history tree ring, which is called dendrofeminology. Um, yeah, how do you, I, I, I found that word, de, and, and you, I'm gonna try and pronounce it as well as you did. Dendrofeminology, what does it mean? So dendrochronology, is the science of tree ring dating. So dendro means tree and chronology is time. So I'm playing with that convention in this art piece. And there's actually six large scale uh, tree rings in the show, or actually they're not all large scale, but six tree rings. So I'm playing with that word. So dendro tree and then feminology. So in my mind, that means feminist history tree ring. And there's an addition of four of them. So some collectors have bought them and then I saved uh, one to put in a special place, like maybe somewhere special in DC to make a statement. And if any of your listeners are interested in finding out more, they can, um, or want to come to DC for that unveiling. They may be in DC. They might be in DC. You can, uh, you can. And you might them. even get to meet the great Tiffany Schlein. Uh, Tiffany, tell me about the, the tree. I assume you didn't cut it down, right? No, no, no. These are all salvaged wood trees already felled. So now I have a great network of um, people that, you know, they've had, like a tree came down in a fire or it came down from a storm or they had to cut it down because it was, you know, um, it had, it was infected with a, something, you know, and so they chopped it down and there are all these places, not that actually not that many, but that have these trees. So I have now learned a lot about this process and actually looking for additional trees, but I, that one is a Deodor cedar. I have one um, that's a old growth redwood that was chopped, had fallen down. And um, it's really exciting to think about tree rings in a new way. Like what other stories can they tell? So I had only seen them telling a very colonialistic patriarchal view of history. I'm doing the feminist tree ring. I also have one called the big picture and it's the evolution of human knowledge. And um, I have one that's a self portrait of my life. I have a whole bunch of tree rings. And so just thinking about the, the, that constraint and that kind of way of thinking about time on a tree ring, but applying it to other stories. And so that's what a lot of the show is about. In addition to, I have a whole bunch of other pieces in the show too. Regular viewers know that 
my favorite movie is Hitchcock's Vertigo. Exactly. Um, one of the uh, the great scenes in Vertigo is when Scotty takes the imaginary Madeline into Muir Woods. They do the tree ring thing, but of course, with Hitchcock, it's all enormously to to, to borrow a a joking word from Hitchcock, enormously phallic. Um, I don't I'm know so uh, whether you were inspired or horrified by uh, Vertigo, probably a little bit of both. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, I'm a filmmaker. That's my main um, thing that I do. And I, uh, when I re-watched that scene from Vertigo, it was like deep buried in my subconscious. But at the next, we're going to bring the whole exhibit to New York. We're just figuring out the best venue for that. But I want to blow up that image that you have of them looking at the tree ring because like I said, I grew up near Mirror Woods and I was always so impressed with that tree ring that that these trees have been like witnesses of history and humanity. I think that's a very powerful idea. And, but the way it's in Hitchcock, like he's totally mansplaining it to her and the text is mansplaining history. Yeah, I mean, it's so the like, Magna Carta and the Battle of Hastings. Exactly, yeah. it's so male, it's so male. But that's and of course, Hitchcock, I mean, that film Vertigo is one of the reasons I like it is, 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 is really just an ex excuse to show some enormous phallic symbols from uh, San Francisco, and of course, from the trees. I, I assume the, the phallic element in yours were chopped off, so to speak. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, I would never view it that way, but there is something that a tree this way is phallic, and that right. So when you cut it off, it's which is more it, feminine because I have this one piece in the show called Life of Breasts, and I have two tree rings, and I talk about the, the life of a breast set of breasts on the tree ring. So you could say that, yeah, a tree both contains the phallic and the feminine in one object, um, which also makes it interesting. And the place that I wanna put the feminist tree ring in DC is maybe in front of the reflecting pool in front of the Lincoln Memorial, which, yeah, is, which is also, of course, phallic phallic. you can have, which is very male. And I wanna put a feminist tree ring right in front of the reflecting pool that leads up to it as a statement of like, this is a new, this is a new story, new narrative of something that existed. That's a story that's not told. The, the tree element, of course, is also important in a, in a very serious and perhaps depressing way. You and I both live in the Bay Area. We've been having unusually unusual weather, which reflects our own global warming crisis. How does this fit into the narrative and the art project? Yeah, well, I think that. I'm working actually on a new exhibition in a, a museum in Los Angeles that'll happen in a while, in like a year and a half. But we're really thinking a lot about, I mean, there is a tree ring I did about climate change in the show called Cause and Effect. And tree rings are like this, or actually trees themselves are this incredible way to, to fight climate change. You know, they decrease the temperature by 10 degrees if you're sitting under a tree. Um, they help the air. They help with a sense of well-being and beauty. There's so many th good things that trees do. And there's a lot of inequality of where trees are in, in neighborhoods. I live in Marin County. I'm surrounded by trees and I love them. But there's a lot of neighborhoods that have no trees. Um, so we will be exploring a lot of that in the new show. But for sure. And I should also say those of you that um, want to experience human nature, 
you know, I'm a filmmaker and a performer. So I, I've been experimenting with this, even though the show's down from the ferry building, we did enough filming that I'm kind of recreating the experience of the exhibit in a zoom. So, um, People can, uh, so I'm doing one April 18th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but it's like a one hour experience where I walk you through each of the pieces and the stories behind them. And it's, and ultimately I'm gonna bring this whole show, you know, to New York and it'll be like a theater, like an art theater experience, um, which I'm really excited about doing. Cause it kind of combines all my experience with the Webby Awards and my filmmaking and my art and kind of merges it into one thing. Yeah, it's interesting when it comes to trees. We did a show last year with an interesting um, young environmental activist, uh, Lindsay, um, Lindsay uh, Borgon, about the morality of tree stealing. Um, uh, she has a new book out suggesting that stealing trees is not as bad as, as we think. Her book is Tree Thieves, Crime and Survival in North American Oh, God, works. that looks great. I don't. Yeah, know. I think you'd be intrigued by the book, but it, it suggests that the sort of the upper middle class environmentalists don't really understand or should that they, 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 they're too respectful of nature and that for many working class people, um, trees aren't so much something to be um, worshipped, but something yeah. to be lived off. I don't know whether you have any thoughts on that, particularly in the context of women. That's really interesting. Um, well, I have been thinking about the whole equality inequality with those that have trees and those that don't. But I mean, I think that's a question. Is it a luxury to revere nature? I mean, I think you can revere nature and also use it. But the problem is with Western civilization is we've just treated nature as just this resource to use and abuse and not think of the implications of it, of the long term use of, you know, treating all the earth's resources as just this thing to dig up and drill up. And so I think, I think there's a way to coexist. We are nature. I mean, that's what I should say. Let me step back. We talk about nature as if it's this separate thing from us. But one of the reasons I called the show human nature is like, we are nature. And I play with that idea a lot in the show. Um, so I think it's a yes. And like, you can have great respect for nature and know that you, you, that you're a part of it and that you use it to live. But I think I would say the majority of the way we've used nature has not really thought of the long-term implications of that. Thinking of Hitchcock's vertigo again. Um, of course the movie is about an imaginary blonde doesn't really exist. And maybe in Hitchcock's own weirdly warped way was a warning about fetishizing women. In your mm. in your twenty thousand year narrative, you begin fifty. Well, it's fifty thousand year narrative. You begin fifty thousand BCE with goddesses being worshipped. Is there something anti-feminist you think uh, about worshiping goddesses? Is that the foundation of patriarchy? No. I don't think so. Um, and actually, I grew up with two parents as feminists. My mom went back to school to get her PhD in psychology, and her PhD thesis was successful women and their female mentors. And my father, who was a surgeon, also wrote a book. Uh, he became a writer later in his career and wrote a book called um, The Alphabet Versus the Goddess, The Conflict Between Word and Image. And he was looking for what was the event that kept happening in civilizations that turned the society from being matriarchal to patriarchal and taking down women and what changed the sex of God, basically, from females to males. 
And what he found is that the introduction of literacy, whenever it was introduced into a, a civilization shortly thereafter, it would go from an image-based society to text and left brain from right brain and kind of, and that's a simplified term, but like, and the degradation of women would follow and patriarchy would rise. So I did grow up on those ideas and there, there are several different ideas, including agriculture and the strength of men and when agriculture was introduced to society, but I would not say that worshiping women, I mean, I feel very powerful as a woman. Perhaps it was because I had two parents as feminists. Like I've never felt like, and I realize how unusual that is now that I'm a grown woman in this society, but I think I've never thought twice that I'm incredibly powerful and that um, I've never felt um, less than or treated less than. And I say that because um, I grew up with two parents who acknowledged <laughs> the power of women. So in a society, getting back to your question, in a society that worshipped women, no, they're just respecting the power that women have. I think a lot of narratives in society today are like, we don't have power and we're trying to get power as CEOs, as politicians in every sector of society. Whereas my upbringing and really where my father writes about is women are all powerful and we just need to get back to where we were. So, um, but again, I, you know, like I don't actually like when I see those slogans of like the future is female. Like I don't want a future that negates or ignores anybody. I want a future that makes space for everyone on the whole spectrum of, of, like I would say I'm like a masculine female. Like, look, I'm wearing a hat. I love being a woman, but I have a lot of qualities that one might say are male in society. But if you look at the whole spectrum of female and male, there's a whole spectrum. And now we've seen this whole renaissance in the last like 20 years of people identifying somewhere in the middle of that. So can't we create a world where every everybody's strengths are valued and, and we look at everybody having an important contribution and not leaving out a perspective or a contribution? Can we do that? That's what I'd like. Tiffany, there's, as you know, is better than I do, I'm sure, there's a great deal of controversy amongst traditional feminists and the gay community and over the trans issue. Do you have any particular take on, on that in, in the context of your human nature exhibit and the way in which, in some ways, I guess, gender seems to be becoming increasingly fluid or merging or, or, or plastic? Mm -hmm. You know, my, my producer of 17 years, um, Sawyer, uh, is trans and he is a trans male. And I went through, we've actually made a movie about it. Um, I have a trans nephew. Um, so it's definitely something I've explored a lot in my work. And just having a co-writer on movies coming from a trans perspective has always been informed my work. Um, I personally think there's just, there's room for everybody. Like I said, and mentioning everybody, I think, is really important in the most inclusive way. So, um, you know, I've made films for Planned Parenthood and reproductive rights. And I feel strongly that there's really room in, in our language for everybody. And I, I think that's what's exciting to me. And the feminist history cheering, I mean, feminism is a lot about just people, underrepresented groups. Um, and so this is a feminist history cheering. There is a... a I mentioned 10,000 years ago how not only women were leaders, uh, shamans, religious leaders, um, but also multiple genders were respected in society 10,000 years ago. And if you look in some indigenous cultures, they are too. So I think 
it's really going back to where we see everyone and value everyone. Let's just quickly touch on some of these uh, dates in your tree ring, as we talked about 50,000 BCE, goddesses are worshipped. Um, between 50,000 BCE to 1920, when the 19th Amendment was passed, what else happened in terms of the history of, uh, of women? Well, scroll down a little because I think the witch burning, the fact that 50,000 women were tortured and executed for being yeah. courageous women is pretty big. I think another interesting fact is that in the... And this was between, uh, in the true ring, between 1450 and 1918, yeah. you say 50,000 women tortured and executed as witches across Europe and America. Yeah. And then also, you know, the 1776, when our country was formed, um, Abortion up to four months was legal in the United States, which I think is also interesting. And if you scroll down a little bit, or is that just a still? Can well, we it's a still, but we can go to the next one. Okay. Um, you know, we have a strong thread of reproductive rights in this piece. Um, I talk about the first wave, second wave, third wave of feminism. And <laughs> sorry, that's my dog. Good one. Really? Sorry. Um, and then, um, you know, when I was finishing the piece, June of last year, Roe v. Wade got overturned. Right. You end in 2022 with Roe versus Wade being overturned. Uh, globally, 65 countries have legalized abortions for in the last year. Uh, globally, 86 women have been elected president or prime minister to date. So is that ending on a, with a warning or optimistically? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, well, so I was finishing in June, like Roe v. Wade got overturned. I'm like, I'm not ending the story there because it's not the end of the story. And even though it's being overturned here, 65 other countries have legalized abortion for in the last year. So the global perspective on the bigger issue of progress, like two steps forward, one step back, but we are moving forward. I mean, 100 years ago, women, well, 115 years ago, women couldn't vote. You could die by a paperclip, like used to travel by horse. Like when you look a lot of the show is about perspective and how nature gives you perspective and pulling back the lens on history and going back further in time. So um, even though we're going backwards in this country on this issue and we're all fighting to keep it moving forward, 65 other countries are moving forward. And even though we haven't had a woman president, um, 86 other countries have. So to me, it's hopeful. And also there's a lot of space at the bottom of the tree ring for the dots that are left to happen. And what do we want to have happen is something I want to think about too. So what would you like to happen in the 2020s between 2023 and say 2030? Oh yeah. Well, first of all, um, yeah. Abortion legal in the United States and in, in all countries. Um, that's probably an optimistic view in some places. I'd love to see a woman president. In the United States, uh, more women politicians. Um, I would love for, um, I, I think the uprising um, in Iran is really interesting with women saying that they want to dress the way they want to dress. And I'm curious to see how long that holds. But there's a lot of things. And actually, when we put it in D.C., we are going to ask that question to the public. What do they want to see on there? What do we want to envision for the future? What about the Supreme Court? Uh, I mean, what would you make of women? There are women, of course, on the Supreme Court who aren't as sympathetic as you are to abortion. What would you say to them? I made a movie once that premiered at Sundance a long time ago called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And it's about reproductive rights. 
And one of the characters in there, you 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 meet and and then you realize that she is a Republican, a staunch conservative that has secretly had an abortion a long time ago. And I think the the draconian laws today um, are fine and good until it's in your own family or it's your daughter or it's your own situation. And I think it's um, hopefully, I mean, the majority of the United States is pro-choice. So we have to get more people in there that um, support that right. It's scary. It's a scary time. I was just at a, a lunch last week about this issue and I have a call tomorrow with Planned Parenthood. Um, it's an inc incredibly scary time. I have two daughters who are growing up in this world. Thank God we live in California. But one of the arguments, um, you know, we are a sanctuary state, um, but I know a lot of my daughter's friends were making decisions on where they wanted to go to college based on if they could get an abortion there. Um, so I had an abortion. Uh, I got pregnant way too young. I mean, I was 24. I wasn't with the man that I ultimately married, Ken Goldberg, who I wasn't ready in my career, in my life. Thank God I was able to have that right. I mean, yeah. Tiffany, um, you mentioned Ken. Uh, one of, uh, he teaches uh, AI at UC Berkeley, one yes. of America's leading thinkers on AI. I know you and he have been doing a lot of thinking about the meaning of chat GPT. Maybe that's. Oh, my gosh. A subject for another show, but, 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 but more broadly, maybe we can get Ken, both of you on the show. I, I wonder what you think of chat GPT and this yeah. hysteria over AI in the context of women. Um, we, we did a show uh, yesterday with Meredith Broussard, who's a, a, a data scientist from NYU, who is concerned about the, the male nature of AI. Are you concerned on that front? You, you've done a lot of thinking on tech. Like me, you've been in and out of the, the tech community for many years. Okay, so big picture, ChatGPT is seismic. It is the way I felt when I first saw the web and started the Webby Awards. It's, it's that big. It's an enormous paradigm shift. And my husband, Ken, who I, you just mentioned is, you know, he co-founded the um, UC Berkeley um, Artificial Intelligence Research Lab. He's been looking at this issue for 35 years and it has surprised him how advanced this is so quick. Um, so it's huge. I am not all, you know, I think it can be used for creativity. I think I've used it. I've used it. I'm working on a new film on the adolescent brain and I was doing all these prompts and it was just, it was like tickling my own brain on stuff that was super fun to engage with. Um, but I, I share the concerns that all, I mean, here's the thing, just going back to stereotypes because some stereotypes are grounded in something, but you could say that, and even Ken will say this, let's say, Let's just say as a stereotype that engineers might not be the most, you know, highest social IQ. Let's just say that for a second of communication IQ. I mean, to put, it, is, to put it euphemistically. And they're creating our communication tools. That is huge. And I mean, I obviously wrote a whole book about the fact I turn off screens with Ken and our family one day a week because like I do not I it is not good to be on screens all the time. Okay, that's separate conversation from ChatGPT. Yeah, well, you were on the show talking about your your award-winning book, 24-6. You've yes. been on a couple of times. So. Yeah, so 
that's one conversation, but that starts with all these men that are like socially, not whatever, creating all the tools for us to communicate and they're manipulating the way we communicate because like what you see and what you don't see. I mean, I've had a newsletter for 25 years, which I know you're on called Breakfast at Tiffany's. That's the only way I feel like I'm really reaching my community. On, I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm on Twitter, not as much lately since Elon took it over and Facebook. But I know that it's manipulated who sees what and what I see. I mean, I just only see like 10 people on Instagram. I don't I mean the algorithm when they change it. But my newsletter, which goes out once a month, I know I can see how many people open it. I know who opens it. It's a very big list. I mean, if I don't open it, you know I am an open dude. I'm not looking. You know what I do? Just sometimes I'll just see what people click on. And then I always. I always open it. You know me. Oh, you always open it. And I see what people click on. You know, I'm always. It's like what I'm working on and interesting books and podcasts and films and art shows that I think people should check out. But I guess I'm saying that because I think a lot about this issue of who's controlling what. Um, how people see my communication. So there's that level. And then with ChatGPT, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, and yeah, I think we should be concerned, like who's creating it? Actually, Ken is leading a lecture series. He curated a lecture series that starts next week or is it next? Yeah, you have to get him. Uh, you have to tell, we'll, we'll have to get him on the show. Oh yeah, he would be great. He has so many interesting thoughts, but he used to always say, "I don't think it's gonna be used for create. It can't replace creativity because that's only human." But he's well, I hope so. Really well, so let's end um, Tiffany on this creativity. You are unusually creative across many different genres, from film to writing to performance to art. What advice would you give people who don't want to? be put into a, a nil box into who don't want to be categorized and yet also remain credible. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to scatter all your talents, but you seem to do it uh, successfully as an artist, writer, oh. filmmaker, performer, um, newsletter no. writer. What's the key to it? I mean, it's something I've definitely thought about. Like, I remember, like, first of all, I did the Webby Awards for 10 years. Right, and you did that. You started the Webby Awards. When was that? In the early 90s? The 90s, but I did a lot. Of, I directed a lot of theater productions for that. And then, but I was a filmmaker before that. Then I went back to film. I made a lot of films. And then I wrote a book. And then when I started doing art, I think I, I mean, I do always think like, uh, I'm moving into a different medium now, but I'm exploring the same ideas. I think the way I look at it is that I am wrestling with the same ideas I have my whole career. Technology and humanity, neuroscience, creativity, women's rights. Those are all the same issues. And I just have different mediums. So I used to be like, oh, I'm doing this new thing. And now I'm like, no, I'm not doing a new thing. I'm just having it output in a different way. But if you were to look at all and the people that have been with me on my newsletter my whole career, sorry, that's my dog again. I'm, I'm wrestling with the same ideas and even in my newsletter, but I'm um, just using a different medium. So I guess I would say to people, remove the box. Yeah, well, the dog is removing the box. Finally, Tiffany, just uh, if people want to get your newsletter, how do they get it? Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's she really wants to say hi, Rosie. Come here. You might need to say yeah, hi. Yeah, she can be. Rosie can um, be on the show too. You just go to tiffanyshlane.com. There's no C in my last name, so just tiffanyshlane.com. You can find out about my art, my film, my books, my newsletter. It's all there. Um, and then those of you that want to come to the next uh, Zoom online tour of the art show, 
you can just go to tiffanyschlein.com forward slash human nature. <laughs> Sorry about my dog. Okay, wait one second. Okay, wait one second. I might wait one second. Sorry about that. Um, no, it was the most silence I've ever had around Tiffany Schlein. You did a good job. Uh, no, well, anyways, so um, I, uh, what was I saying? So the way you can find me um, on my site, and then it has all the links to everything. And um, yeah, but I'm really excited. You know, I'm working, I love working in the medium of trees. And I'm doing a lot of light boxes too, which is kind of like in between cinema and art. And I'm working on a new film on the adolescent brain. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I guess my biggest advice to anybody, going back to your earlier question, is just um, follow the curiosity. And you're very much like that, Andrew. I mean, I love watching your career and all the different topics you engage with. And I think it, we're both just following our curiosity and we want to know more. 